0: Genesis chapter 4 uh, verses 1 to 16 Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain she said with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man later she gave birth to his brother Abel now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil in the course of time Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Amen.
1: Well, folks, as has been mentioned, I'm Alistair, i the pastor of this church, and it is wonderful to see you this morning. I would encourage you, please do keep Genesis 4 open in front of you as we spend time in it, because you need to check that what I'm saying is right, and that what I say is in accordance with God's word, which is why it's important to have it open in front of us. Now, when I was a child, and we were out as a family near a lake, we would have a really fun time. You'd see that perfectly flat lake that looked more like a piece of glass than it did a body of, body of water. No wave, no current in sight. It would look lovely. But then what does every young child decide to do? Well, you either skim a few stones or see who can make the biggest splash and who can throw a stone the furthest. And being one of three boys, I can say I'm a little bit competitive. In fact, that's a bit of an understatement. I'm very competitive. But the the thing that always fascinated me when throwing stones in the water was the ripples. So you'd throw in a stone or you'd skim and watch as dozens of feet away, away, the water was still moving. The water continued to spread from that one stone being plunged into the depths. Now, why am I saying all that? Well, if we think of Genesis chapter 3 as being the moment the stone hits the water of our world, it's the, and then in Genesis chapter 4 is the ripple effect of that entrance of sin into the world. And those ripples continue to be felt in our world and in our own lives today. And they will continue to be felt until the end of time. Genesis 3 was a disastrous event that shook the world to its very core. From that moment on, Adam and Eve, the Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The world, humanity, people's relationships with God, our natural desires and instincts were completely turned upside down. It's devastating and we cannot overstate that. See, Adam and Eve once walked with God in the day, in the Garden of Eden, but now they are cast out from God's presence, separated from Him. Once, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. But after Genesis 3, not a day would go by where they would not look back on the day when they ate from the tree and feel shame. For disobeying God. Adam and Eve once enjoyed a wonderful life of perfect harmony. And they worked together. And it was a joy. But from Genesis 3 onwards their relationship would be tense. Their work would become difficult. The earth would bring forth weeds and thorns for them. Eve would know the pain of childbearing. And life would never be the same again. We cannot underestimate the catastrophic effect of Genesis 3. So how does the story continue? Well, in Genesis 4 and the following chapters, we see the ripple effect of sin progressing. The story goes from bad to worse as sin, like a disease, spreads into every single human being, affecting every single part of creation and destroying life as we know it. This week, we're going to see the first time anger and murder happens in the history of the world. And it just gets worse. In the coming weeks, we'll realize the more time passes, the more sin becomes the norm in the world. Even next week, in the first genealogy of Cain's family line, there is no mention of God. It's as if God is completely stricken from their minds and then the first city is built in verse 17 and Cain names it after his son because humanity is following the same prideful footsteps as Adam and Eve. Saying, no God, we don't want you, we want to be like you. We want to do things our own way and by our own strength. Now why do I mention all of that? Well, because we need to realize That we have now left that perfect world of Genesis 1 and 2. And we are now in the realms of of the world as we know it. A world of pain. Of anger. Of destruction. A world of death. But at the same time, I want us to see this morning that God, in spite of all the sin that has devastated creation, He continues to show grace. God's grace is there in Genesis 4 verse 1 where there is new life as Cain and Abel are born. See, God had every right to cast off the whole of creation and start again from scratch. And yet he graciously gives, preserves Adam and Eve's life and gives them the blessing of children. And Cain and Abel represent two generations of Eve. One with faith and allegiance to God And the other with allegiance to the serpent, to sin, and to rebellion against God. In the first 16 verses of Genesis 4, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the offering, the offense, and the opportunity. They all kind of overlap in these verses, but I hope that they will help us think about how we can apply these verses in our own lives. As we live in this world that is no stranger to sin. So the first thing we see is this, is the offering in verses 1 to 5, the offering. So in verses 3 to 5, we have the first offering ever in the Bible. This happened before God had given the law, but Cain and Abel at some point brought offerings before God. Read in verse 3 with me. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruit from the tree. From the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now why does God accept Abel's offering but not Cain's? It can't be because God doesn't like grain or fruit offerings because under the Old Testament law that would later be given to the nation of Israel, there was a requirement for those kinds of sacrifices and offerings. And the end of verse two says that Abel was a shepherd and Cain a farmer, both good professions that are in line with God's command for humanity to both work the soil and have dominion over the animals. But Cain's response gives us an indication as to why his offering was not acceptable to God. He responds in anger. And the thing is that worshipper and his offering are inseparable. The issue isn't that God prefers animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. And he just didn't feel like a vegetable or fruit offering that day that Cain brought. The issue goes much deeper than that. Cain's response of anger is a clue that something isn't right. Something is amiss. And then we turn to other parts of the Bible, like Hebrews 11, verse 4, where it says, "...by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings." And then in one John three twelve it says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. These verses make it clear that the problem with the offering wasn't wasn't with what Cain brought, but it was a matter of his heart. It was a matter of faith. The issue is how he brought it. Worship is first of all a heart attitude, and that is what matters to God. Cain brought his sacrifice more out of an obligatory sense of obedience rather than an act of devotion to and love for God. Now, we aren't going to make sacrifices or offerings to God today because we live on this side of the cross. We do not have to do that. Jesus has done that for us. But the principle remains the same that there is a kind of worship that is pleasing to the Lord and there is a kind of worship that is not pleasing to the Lord. See, we can wake up on a Sunday morning and think, oh, well, it's Sunday, I may as well get up, I've got nothing better to do, throw on my clothes, go, drag myself to church. Or maybe over lockdown you found it easier to fill your Sundays with other things, to meet up with other people instead of coming to church. And think, I'll just watch the service later on in my pajamas at my own convenience. That's one way. Or we can turn up to church and be excited that we have the privilege of gathering with God's people. Singing praises together, encouraging one another as we chat before and after the services and point each other to Jesus. I think we all know which type of worship is more pleasing to God, don't we? Our worship of the Almighty God shouldn't be careless, it shouldn't be cheap, but it should be caref- we should carefully consider our attitude as we approach God, both in private worship and public worship. See, Sunday services are not just social events where we gather to see people of a similar worldview or similar belief. But Sundays are a day set apart by God for the worship of God. A day to focus on Him. A day to gather with His people, to pray together, to sing, to sit under the teaching of His Word as we humbly let ourselves be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And we become the worshippers that God wants us to be. God wants our best. Not just the dregs of whatever energy we have left at the end of a week. We think of service as our time, our talents, our money. God wants our best of all of those things. Not just the few pounds we have left left at the end of the month when we've spent it all on essential and non-essential things. With our time, our talents and our money, are you giving God the best of your worship? Or are you giving him as little as possible out of a sense of obligatory obedience? Worship is first of all a heart matter. That's what matters to God. Give God your best of everything you have in genuine, heartfelt worship. As Roman 12 puts it this way. is that as a result of what Jesus has done for us on a cross, out of thankfulness for him dying in our place, we come before him and we do what we've sung. We offer up our lives to him. As the old hymn says, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. We should come before God in reverent praise, worshipping him as he wants us to and humbling ourselves by offering him our best, by offering him our everything. The second thing we see in this passage is the offense in verses six to eight, the offense. So God responds to Cain and his anger in verse six. Read that with me. God says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now notice how, Cain, how God deals with Cain. Cain has basically acted like a child. He's thrown his dummy out of the pram. He's stormed off in a strop. Stomping his feet as loudly as he he can, giving off a massive, obvious sigh, and he is angry. Without a doubt, you could see it on his face. Now, God could have rebuked Cain harshly, told him to get over himself, told him to say that or said that the issue was in his heart, and he just needed to forget about himself and get right with God. But, But notice that God doesn't respond out of anger or frustration There is no tone of impatience or dismissal. God, like a father, kneels down with love and grace and says, what's wrong? What's bothering you? God basically says, Cain, I want you to be right with me. Look at your heart. I know the anger that is under the surface. And if it goes unchecked, it will grow into something far, far worse. And that's where our key verse is this morning in verse 7. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's the imagery of a, a lion that's waiting in the bushes patiently to catch its prey. And at the right moment it pounces and catches and eats its full. I wonder if you've seen those videos on social media of people taking pictures at the zoo next to the lion's enclosure. They're in front of the glass, they're happy and smiling, but suddenly this massive creature lunges at them and they freak out and run away. That's like sin. See, we wouldn't laugh if we saw a lion coming our way, licking his lips, ready to eat us. We would run a mile. We see the danger and so we get to safety. Safety. That's the imagery that God uses with Cain. Sin is like a wild animal that will tear you limb from limb if you do not stay on your guard and pay attention. Brothers and sisters, we need this warning just as much as Cain did. We might not be thinking about murdering our brother out of anger, but it's so easy, isn't it, to flirt with sin? To put ourselves in situations Where we know we shouldn't be in or to be in the company of people who we know the outcome will not glorify God. And yet we still walk by. Maybe even thinking that we're strong enough and able enough to resist temptation. And that might be true once or twice. But the reality is that sin is always crouching at the door and it will pounce. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that sin is waiting at the door of your heart. And you're tempted to open that door. You say, surely just a little look, just a little misstep. A little bit of rebellion won't really matter that much. Maybe you think you're strong enough to check out sin in whatever form that is most tempting to you. I've been there. I know most of us in this room have been there. I know the devastation that sin causes in people's lives. Brothers and sisters, please flee from sin. Don't be like Adam and Eve. The choice is there. You can resist sin and find blessing and life in Jesus Christ. Or you can go into sin and be devoured. As a theologian from many years ago, John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. See, sin can disguise itself as as good and often ask only for small compromises. Just one more look, one more harmless flirt, one more lie, one more high, and inch by inch our sin leads us down a path of destruction. It doesn't require big steps, and small steps are actually easier to justify don't let the subtlety of sin deceive you into thinking that your sin is no big deal. The longer I've been a Christian, the more I have come to realize the devastating nature of sin and the havoc that it brings in my life. Sin is not to be messed with. Like a wild animal, God says, sin is crouching at your door and it will devour you. Now, Cain has been warned And the ball is in his court. And he has the option. He either heeds the warning and listens to God. Or he ignores God and goes on his own. And sadly, he chooses the latter. And his first sin of anger grows into murder. As verse 8 tells us, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now in verse 1 there was a sense when Cain was born that Adam and Eve were hoping one thing came to be the redeemer the promised seed of Genesis 3:15 who would defeat the serpent and make things right between mankind and God but this hoped for redeemer is actually a murderer sin cannot be contained but it has progressed In a matter of verses, we've had the first rebellion of Adam and Eve, the first mention of anger, the first murder in the history of the world. And do you remember what God said to Adam and Eve when they rebelled against him and ate of the tree? In Genesis 2.17, God says, eat of it and you will die. And here we see it happening. The spiritual death happened immediately, but now the physical death has come into the world. The first death in the Bible as Abel is killed by his brother. The first offense against God as another human being made in the image of God is cut down. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain opened that door and invited sin into the world and it caused mayhem. And the final thing we see In these few verses, is the opportunity in verses 9 to 16 the opportunity. See, in these verses, Cain is given the opportunity to confess that he killed his brother and repent of that sin. God asks Cain in verse 9, Where is your brother Abel? And Cain responds, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, God isn't asking this because he doesn't know the answer. He is God. He knows all things. He sees all things. But God asks Cain that question to give him the opportunity to confess his sin and do the right thing after he's just done the wrong thing. But like a teenager, Cain barks back with those famous words, am I my brother's keeper? And he now adds lying to his list of offenses against God. See, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they confessed what they'd done. Sure, they blamed other things. Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent, but they confessed what they did. Cain, on the other hand, does not. His anger, which resulted in the meditated murder of his brother, seems to have hardened his heart even further. And he basically barks back at God saying, I have no idea where my brother is. What a stupid question that is, God. His response shows no love for man and no love for God. He's been given the opportunity to repent of his sin, but he refuses and he hardens his heart. His anger pushes him further away from God. Now, this isn't the main application point here, but I think it's important to say we need to keep an eye on our anger and on our attitude towards other people. The book of Jude in verse 11 warns people of the way of of Cain, a way of unbelief, the path of empty religion devoid of spiritual life and vibrancy, a life of anger and hatred towards God and other people, and a path that ultimately leads to an eternity separated from the perfect presence of God in hell. And all of that started from anger. Now, don't get me wrong, we live in an imperfect world. We will be hurt by others, and people will do evil things. I'm not encouraging you to brush things under the carpet, to pretend that everything is rosy and fine. That's not helpful. But it is a warning because your attitude and how you view other people, how you view God, has eternal consequences. Be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. God, obviously knowing what Cain had done, goes on in verses 10 to 12 to pronounce a judgment on Cain. Look at verse 12 with me. God says to Cain, When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, remember that from verse 2, we're told that Cain was a farmer. But now it will be impossible for him to grow crops because as a result of his sin, the curses that God pronounced on Adam in Genesis 3 have been amplified. God told Adam that growing crops would be hard, but God tells Cain that it will be impossible for him to grow crops. God drove Adam out of, the, out of his presence in the Garden of Eden, but now Cain will have no resting place on this earth and he will be a wanderer all of his days. How would you respond? If you're guilty of doing something, you would expect someone to say, yes, God, I deserve that. I'm sorry. The judgment fits the crime 100%. But look at Cain's response. In verse 13, he says, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today, you are driving me from the land. I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. No remorse, no confession, no indication that Cain even thinks he's done anything wrong. He doesn't feel bad about his sin, but he feels bad about the punishment. But do you see how God is still gracious? God doesn't destroy Cain. God doesn't take vengeance on him like we would. God doesn't fly off the handle in anger But instead he curses sin, curses Cain, letting him feel the consequences of his sin. But at the same time, he shows him grace by preserving his life so that no one will retaliate against him by putting a mark on him in verse 15. God shows grace even in the punishment. He doesn't say, Cain, you've just killed one of my creatures, someone made in my image, someone that I love. No, God is gracious because even in his punishment of Cain, he provides protection for him, even though he doesn't repent. God is being so gracious, giving Cain something that he doesn't deserve, and God is being merciful, not giving Cain something that he does deserve. Every single sin, every wrong attitude, every lie, every act of rebellion against God provides us with an opportunity. We can go the way of Cain, let it harden our hearts against God, where we pity ourselves and we make excuses for our sin and we despise any form of consequences. Or the other option is that we we let the reality of our sin push us towards a God who is gracious Push us towards a God who is merciful, towards our creator who can and does provide forgiveness for those who call on him. One path leads to destruction. And the other path leads to life. See, the consequences of sin must be paid for. But for those who throw themselves on the mercy of God, the punishment and judgment for sin was taken by another Imagine a courtroom on that final day when God judges the world, which he will. Satan, the accuser, stands pointing the finger at every single person and pointing out the sin in their life, every evil deed they have done, every wrong attitude, every evil thought, every single thing that has gone wrong in their lives that finds its root in sin and rebellion against God. For the person who is not a Christian, they are found guilty and they must suffer the eternal judgment of God for sins in hell. But for the person who throws themselves on the mercy of God, as Satan reads out that really long list for every single one of us, Jesus steps in and says, yes, all of that is 100% true. And that is just the beginning." but it has been paid for. I paid the price for the sins of every single because I died in their place. Friends, the opportunity is there for you right now. If you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus, please put your trust in him today. He lived the perfect life that you never could. He died the death that you rightly deserve under the just wrath of God. And he rose triumphantly from the grave so that all those who call on his name are forgiven of their sin and made right with God. And if you are a Christian this morning, remember that every single day that you live is a result of the mercy and grace of a compassionate God. Therefore, out of thankfulness, present your whole life as a living sacrifice to him and give him all the glory. Like a stone that's thrown into a perfectly calm lake, sin casts its ripples in Genesis 3 and 4. And they continue to be felt in our world and in our own lives. And that will continue to be the case until that final day when we meet Jesus face to face. Or we are called home to be with him. And so I want us to leave us with a final question. Will you follow the path of Cain that leads to destruction? Or will you follow the path of life? The path of Jesus to eternal life? My prayer is that we would all choose Jesus and that we can sing these words in just a moment as a prayer. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are gracious and merciful. That you are a compassionate God who gives life to sinners, even though we have rejected you from the very beginning. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as a response, Lord, help us bring you our everything. Help us bring you the best of our worship. And Lord, by your spirit, give us the strength to grow every single day in our love for you, our love for your word, our love for your church, and our love for the lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.